Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. If sessions look and feel just okay and look nice on the eye, are the players perhaps being challenged enough? Possibly not, because if it looks nice, are there enough mistakes within the session? Be sort of a, a student of the game. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back, guys. It's another episode of the Coaches Network. Today, I'll be joined by my guest, Ben Ashby, who's the Assistant Head of Education at Aston Villa. Um, over to you, Ben, if you just want to let listeners know a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you got to and what your journey's been like so far. Yeah, sure. So I imagine like many coaches, I had aspirations of wanting to play, um, certainly professional. Uh, but I think I realised quite early on, actually, that that possibility and that opportunity was going to be limited. So I took a keen interest in coaching. Um, started out quite young, I'd say. I was helping out just things like my brother's local team that my brother played for. I've got a younger brother, so I'd always be there watching him and more, more often than not, it was just a case of picking up cones and bibs, but I'd just watch the sessions and help out and be a nuisance, really. Um, and then I'd done my badge, my first level one, as soon as I was 16, having an October birthday. I got on the course at, during the October half term, and I was helping out at Wickham Wanderers in their community trust uh, while still at school. And then when I left school, I actually started an apprenticeship with Wickham Wanderers, where I was coaching in schools doing holiday camps, Saturday morning clubs, a lot of community-based coaching, which was a very good and great introduction to coaching for myself. Um, after I finished my apprenticeship, I was actually employed full-time at Wickham. Um, and then a little bit later on during my time there, um, I ended up working within the Centre of Excellence as an assistant coach. So the Centre of Excellence was what then became the academy system when the EPPP was proposed and was kind of built. Um as well as working at Wickham, um, I then went on to move at uh, a college, an FE college, um, where we run a football and education program. Um, kind of the backstory to that was during my time at Wickham, when we had the youth team there, we wanted a shadow squad to supplement the players within the youth team. So our community trust was responsible for that. And it was at a time where I was getting a little bit frustrated with my coaching development. I'd uh, not long finished my B licence and going into schools and doing holiday camps where you're doing fun, engaging activities. And I didn't really feel like I was utilising kind of the, the B licence where you're doing more tactical uh, development stuff. Um, so I wanted to get involved within this program for 16 to 18 year olds at Wickham Wanderers, done some teacher training because I felt that was also a way in which I could get involved being a, of double use, being able to teach academically, but also being able to do the coaching. Um, so I got involved with that Wickham Wanderers and then, uh, my manager, he actually left to go to Reading. Um, and he set up the partnership between Reading and the college and I followed him there. So again, I was teaching and coaching there uh, within a 16 to 19 college programme. I was there for a couple of years. Before then, obviously, uh, I started at Barnet. Um, I was there for five years. Uh, went there as head of education, so overseeing the education provision for all the academy players, but mainly the apprenticeship programme for the scholars there. 
um, as well as coaching. And uh, also had a period of uh, being academy manager for a year, um, 18s assistant, um, which was, again, great experience. And then more recently, as, as we highlighted earlier, um, I started shortly as the season started. This season just finished or about to finish um, side at Aston Villa. Well, quite a, quite an eventful journey. Yeah, he's talked a bit about it. You know, there's a various different roles that you've obviously participated in. There, I just want to start by touching on, you know, and I'm sure this will be something that's relevant to a lot of coaches um, going through their journeys, where they may feel that they've got some expertise or some qualities that they want to be able to, I guess, apply and demonstrate, but haven't been given the right opportunity or environment to do so. So you touched on there about having a B license and not really being able to use that. Yeah, uh, essentially use the use the skills that you learned. From having that B license or that you've got yeah. getting that qualification that in that environment, what what would you say to someone? Obviously, go going through a similar pathway. Do you think do you think it's important that there and then you need to use those qualities straight away, or is it just about understanding how those things could be applied? I, th- I think it's the latter. You got to understand um, where and when it can be applied. So obviously, I've done my B license. And the the bulk of my coaching was that community participation and engagement aspect mm. where obviously it's not applicable. So it's not going to benefit the players and the session's just going to fall flat on its face if I'm going to start delivering um, a, if you like, session that's got B license elements or content that you would perhaps see within a B license level session uh, if you yeah. if you like, to a group of players with mixed abilities, mixed experience. Um, so it was more that certainly I would use that, that, that qualification and the knowledge that comes with it when I'm delivering within the sense of excellence. And that was probably the level of coaching I was getting a bigger thirst for. That was what I was like wanting much mm. more exposure to. Um, but back then, Centre of Excellence, like, you know, like some academies now, but it was one or two evenings a week and then a Sunday where you have your games programme. Um, yeah. So I was kind of chomping at the bit to kind of progress and get exposed to that level of coaching more often. And I was getting a bit frustrated, as I said. Yeah, and I mean, going back, looking back at that situation now, I mean, I've, I've come, you know, currently in my role as a tutor as mm. well, and I've across many coaches who are kind of who want to go down that path of getting their B license and so on and so forth. And the question I always have for them is, oh, why do you want the B license? Why do you want the A license if that's what you're looking to push on? Yeah, um, is it because you actually want to work in those environments, or is it because of specific content that you feel like you're going to get from acquiring those qualifications? And I guess you know, the question is, how important is it? looking back at your time now that you maybe get into an environment where these things might be more relevant before you actually go and do the qualifications do you think there isn't a it doesn't really make a difference in that respect yeah I think certainly when I was younger when I first got into coaching um, I was very keen to progress through my badges as soon as I can and get exposed to as much as I can Um, Mm. and sometimes the two go hand in hand in terms of you need the badge to get more exposure and more experience. Um, so, for example, though, I'd done my B license and I wanted more opportunity to coach and deliver that kind of style content and that level of practice. But at the time, I was still hanging on and still trying to knock around lower levels of non-league and play. Whereas mm. if perhaps... I had a bit of uh, realisation earlier or if I had my time again, would I have perhaps stopped playing and used that time to perhaps coach a local floodlit youth team where perhaps some of those players, if they're exposed to that level of session, uh, are going to be receptive to it and going to be able to cope with it or could I have supported and helped out an adults team earlier than what I did? Um Maybe, but obviously, you, you at the same time you love playing and you want to uh, enjoy playing for as long as possible. And whilst I kind of mentioned at the start there about my professional career, if you like, alongside that, I've always had a kind of a sideline aspect of I was trying to play for a long time at a certain level, 
but I was involved in a couple of non-league teams at a very good level, actually. Um, yeah. One of those being Hungerford, where we got promoted um, at step three. We got to, I think it was, just below the Conference South. Um, and we had, uh-huh. you know, good players, good budget. And it was great, great experience and a great learning curve for myself. Um, and then another non-league team, which again, was with some very good players and we were very successful, with, uh, again, getting promoted with those. Um, but that got to a point where I knew that I'm going to make more money, if you like, as a career coaching than what I would ever yeah. just chasing your 20, 30, 40, 50 pound playing at a non-league level. And I kind of made the decision yeah. that that's the direction I was going to go. I, I decided mainly because of that. And also, my body stopped allowing me to play at the level I wanted to. Um, sure. So, I kind of pushed myself into coaching more. But, like, like going back to your question and to the point, when you kind of get that B licence, you can want to be able to use it. And how you might do that is kind of getting involved in those Thudlet youth teams. It might be a Saturday or Sunday side that the players are receptive to that level of information. Some Saturday teams at a good level just want to have that camaraderie and togetherness and that time together away from whatever else is going on at home or the, yeah. you know, the stresses and pressures of work environment. Uh, other Saturday non-league teams, they want it to be done professionally, want it to be done the right way and want to be coached the right way. And they're the ones that if you have aspirations of progression coaching journey, I think you need to kind of look to get involved within and to kind of develop your coaching practice really yeah I mean, you know it's interesting obviously you, you know you touched on that you've had a range of roles yeah those roles how, how do you feel that's changed you so you had you talked about having experiences uh, you know working in the education setting within the football football industry working uh briefly you mentioned there about you know working as an under 18s assistant obviously within a cat free academy mm. um also having you know a brief period of time as an academy manager and now, obviously, you you know you've moved on to your current role as assistant head of education at Aston Villa. All those experiences together, what would you say for yourself as uh, has been the biggest changes that you've seen within yourself and your perspectives on, um, I guess, what coaching should look like? I think I think the part of it is to be more comfortable being uncomfortable, and it's it's almost like a couple of new buzzwords that people do talk about. Um, but I think mm-hmm. when I did first start coaching, I was very command, very autocratic in my style. I'd be very mm. descriptive and very explicit of what I wanted done. Sessions with her, they they looked neat because I was very conscious of that being a reflection of me. Um, right. And people interpreting what the session looked and felt like um, as a reflection of my ability. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when you go through and develop as a coach you you begin to understand and recognize that actually if sessions look and feel just okay and look nice on the eye are the players perhaps being challenged enough possibly not because if it looks nice are there enough mistakes within the session for the players to be challenged and to develop mm. um also are you as a coach perhaps coaching within a comfort zone and not actually as a byproduct of that. Again, you're not testing the players. You're not testing yourself and your art as a coach. So I think it's kind of as you kind of mature as a coach and mature as a person, you become more more resilient to being being in that place of being uncomfortable. You're kind of comfortable with like it not looking great, or you're you're more comfortable with allowing sessions to run where it perhaps looks scruffy, where it doesn't look neat and tidy. There are Mm. players ain't getting what you want them to do, but it's okay for that to happen because you're waiting for that moment when the penny drops for the players that they do begin to understand. They are able to execute what you want them to. Sometimes it may need a different intervention strategy and you have to go in and help. Um, But, you're kind of allowing that to happen naturally rather than having that uncomfortable feeling of it not looking unbelievably well, um, which, as I said at the start, I was very much 
kind of conscious of what my sessions and what the players look like during the session. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think I've I've certainly gone through that myself. Where you know, as you touched on it, when I first started that coaching, it was very autocratic. I was very command style. You know, within a, within a couple of years, I started to realize actually, is this really helping the players? If the sessions are looking tip top and as you put it, neat, is there enough mistakes being taking place? And if there's not enough mistakes, and if there's not any mistakes at all, in some cases, are the players really being stretched and challenged? And if they're not being stretched and challenged, where is development coming from? So I think there's a very no, I guess an important thing to kind of touch on there that yeah, for any coach that de- listens def- to this, that definitely, and then it'd almost be like you'd uh, do something that you you'll walk off and be like, oh, the players could uh, do what I asked them to today, and you'd kind of be it, pleased. Exactly, you'd and be it's pleased almost that false yeah. sense of security. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's what I mean by as you develop and as kind of other coaches and other mentors, educators, and as you start working with better players, better players will challenge you. Um, and you know it may be that it, the session looks and feels nice externally and you, you as a coach you feel nice delivering it um, but then the better players they will challenge you whether that's they become disengaged and start playing up or they that they will openly say kids are very brutal and very honest they'll say this is boring yeah. this is boring yeah. like you know and that, that, that's their that's their cry for saying come on now I can do this move me on to the next level um, and you then have to come up with something or you've you know the the kind of utopia is that you can recognize when they've got it and you're able to move them on when they're ready correctively yeah yeah so just just on that then obviously you talk about you know challenges can you think of a time where you've maybe been challenged by a player in some sort of way where you've kind of really just been coasting and being in a bit of your comfort zone and they've kind of just caught you off guard and thrown you off a little bit um I think I think there's a uh, bit of it that when I was coaching players around 16 to 18 years old, I certainly, and it was also partly driven by a club philosophy that we wanted to be aggressive on the front foot out of possession and press. Um, mm. And sometimes, certainly with teenagers, um, that you have to get their buy-in first and foremost if you want them to do anything. Um, as with any player, that is. But there was a reluctance for one or two to follow that through, which obviously, again, as a coach, that challenges you. Because, you know, is it, do you scream and shout them? Do you kind of drive them on to kind of have that output that you're looking for? Um, You know, because ultimately it is part of the game that when you get to a certain level, it's it's a must. You're going to have to do it, but it's not the nicest part of the game. Um, and players yeah. that stick to mind in my head that I'm talking about are players that do enjoy the game with the ball. Um, but as you know, you, you've got to spend parts of the game without the ball. Um, so it's kind of really trying to then get them to understand, first of all, the benefit to them. Secondly, the benefit to the team. And ultimately, their roles and responsibilities in what we're asking them to do. And then sure. finally to that, because we're as it, because we were in a performance setting, it's a case of you either do it or you don't play because someone else will play that is willing to do it. Um, and it's got to be done in a way where, obviously, like I said, you're trying to bring them around to getting them to do what you want them to do. And so you need their buy-in. So I think that, that had to be dealt with in a way that you're trying to show them the benefits of how it's going to help their performance and how, how it's going to help their game, but then also how it's going to help the team um, to hopefully get them to grasp. Actually, if I do this, I'm going to benefit because our team's got the ball more or as a result of it, I'm going to be able to score, uh, create, our team's going to get the ball back and create more scoring opportunities for me to get more goals perhaps. Um, so yeah, that's something that certainly sticks in the mind when you ask that. Um that certainly does become a challenge when players don't want to do what you want them to do. Mm. And sometimes it could just be down to them waking up on the wrong side of the bed, quote unquote, really, isn't it? Oh, a hundred percent. Rather than any, 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 you know, hard hitting a scientific element to what's going on. It's literally just woke up and not in the right state of mind for whatever reason. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And that, and that's where I think one of the biggest things is if you are working with a group of players, on a consistent basis you've got to kind of have that connection you've got to build that relationship with players so mm. subtly are you able to pick up on 
when player X walks in and he's a little bit quieter than what he is normally. So that mm. hopefully you can pick that up and it might be an arm around the shoulder and you're asking the question, oh, is everything all right? Um, and then some some players will tell you, some of them will say, yeah, everything's fine. But obviously then consciously you're just a little bit more aware of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, just interesting now, because you, you know, we talked a bit about some of your experiences so far and you talked there about you know how you've maybe dealt with the challenge based on the club's philosophy. What What is Ben Aspie's coaching philosophy what you know what do you what are, what are strong principles and values for you in that respect I think in terms of coaching philosophy it's or certainly my coaching philosophy it's it's founded on values um, mainly kind of that respect and honesty I think play, players appreciate uh, honesty they, 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 they want honesty um, and certainly as a player myself and also from working with players too many times I think players are told things by staff, coaches, whoever it may be, whatever the environment may be, but then they experience something else. So then all of a sudden that trust or that element of trust kind of is broken or lost. Whereas Mm. if you're transparent with them, and sometimes certainly in a performance environment where there's so many different factors that may contribute to it, but I think players appreciate that transparency. I think they appreciate that honesty, and like I just highlighted, sometimes that is hard to have that with players. But mm. if players, for example, just one of the one of the biggest things they want to know why they're not playing. Sometimes, yeah. so, sometimes you know, it's easy to spin them a line and say one thing, but actually, the, the brutal truth is required. It may be because yeah. they're not able to do X, Y, and Z. And certainly players, when they get to a certain level and a certain age, they appreciate that because then it gives them something just, that they can go away with. And, something tangible to kind of look at. Yeah, exactly. And they can say, right, okay, if you're saying I can't do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to show you I can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I was going to say that then the players turn around and say, hold on, I can do that now. So why are you not playing me now? Um, but that's just right. one example. But I, certainly from my philosophy, how I like to work with players is have that open transparency, have that honesty with them. Because with that honesty, they'll start to respect. I think I think that's where respect comes from. Because they know that you come from a good place and that you're trying to, uh, you know, you've got their best interests at home. You're not a blagger. Mm. Just on that then, how important is it for you that that, that information, whilst being brutally honest is packaged in a softer way because i mean for, I'm, i've i've always been the kind of person where you know what i don't think any of us actively like criticism no yeah but um but some of us do obviously take criticism as an opportunity to develop and obviously look at the gaps that we might need to fill um and do that willingly yeah so i've always been one way if someone criticizes me or gives me something to kind of work on i brother you just hit me with it black and white straight to the point what is it that you that i'm I may be missing or what is it I need to work on and then let me get to work on it. Yeah. Yeah. How and, and important again, is it for you, do you think, in terms of the players that you work with or have worked with in the past or just generally that that information has to be delivered in that way or do you believe that, you know, we should package it in a softer way in that respect? Again, again, it goes back to, I think, what I touched on just a minute ago about if you're working with a group of players on a consistent basis, do you know them? Do you know kind of how they want that information because if you're working mm. with them and you understand them and you've got that connection with them you'd know the ones that like you said they'll just want to be told straight up bang there's there's the crit- critique and they'll go to work on kind of either putting it right and proving you wrong others mm. might need a little bit more because they're you know a little bit sensitive and there's nothing wrong with it that it just needs to be perhaps articulated in a way that is a little bit softer. Um, but I think with that, because it is a team environment, but it is very individualistic, mm. I think, at that point as well, that you've got to have that conversation with them on an individual basis. Um, like, like I highlighted, 16 to 19-year-olds, they're, they're very complex creatures. And the, the last thing that anyone not just 16 to 19 year olds, but anyone wants is that critique yeah. and embarrassment in front of their peers. 
So I think that that goes back to that thing of that value of respect is it's got to be done on an individual basis. And also you've got to allow them to come back at you. You've got to allow them to question and challenge your critique Mm. and your thoughts. Um, It's got to be a two-way process. Um, The only time I'll perhaps say that it doesn't have to be is when it becomes something behavioural or something that really goes against the, the team and group values. But at the same time, sometimes, and even in those situations, the you may have to hear people because their value system or their experiences tells them that something may or may not be uh, acceptable. But because they've had different experiences, they think something's going to be allowed, whereas perhaps if it goes against other people's value system, it's going to have to be challenged and you're going to have to discuss that and get them to understand why. Right, so, you know, just looking a bit about your current role now, obviously, you know, you, you said you're the assistant head of education at Aston Villa. You know, what does someone who's in that role actually do? What does that day-to-day look like? And I guess what, what role do you think that plays in the, the development of the players that you work with? Yeah, so f- firstly, for some clubs, it may look different and they may have different responsibilities. Uh, but certainly for myself at Aston Villa, um, I'm there to support the head of education. So part of that is in terms of the apprenticeship delivery. So in academies, the when you get to 16, you can be offered a scholarship, a two-year apprenticeship, um, before you can uh, or before you become a professional footballer. Some of them obviously get offered their professional contracts during that time, but they'll do a two-year period where they have to do some form of education and training. So for some of them, it's like a BTEC program. For some of them, it's A-levels. Some of them, it may be vocational qualifications such as gym instructors or for some of the perhaps international boys, it might be English, maths um, and something else. Um, So I'm there to support our head of education. I support the delivery of um, part of that qualification, uh, working with a couple of players within that, Um, making sure that players are progressing academically within their schools, um, and tying that all in as part of the multidisciplinary team with the coaching uh, team. So obviously within the academy, we work across all different departments, but we only get to see the players for a very small period of time um, compared to what they're at home and what they're at school. So getting information from schools about how they're progressing, their application, character, it's a great tool to inform us as a, a football club of what a player that we potentially want to retain for a long period of time um, is like. So there's a, a large part of my role that's there supporting members within the education department doing that. Yeah. Also part of my role is I support our player care manager. So our player care manager is exactly kind of what it is. It's um, Part of it is replace what was the welfare officer's role um, but then also it's a lot broader than that. So it's around that holistic development, that personal development around perhaps just topics and issues that individuals, young people arise, whether they're an athlete or not. Um, so it may be things like uh, social media usage. What are the dangers of it? How can uh, them as perhaps individuals with a slightly heightened profile perhaps protect themselves on social media? Um, It may be things like um, how they maintain good, uh, healthy lifestyle habits such as sleep, nutrition. um, And that will be supported perhaps by the sports science staff, for example. So it's all different aspects that can help support the performance. Um, So I'll support our player care manager with that aspect as well. And then uh, finally, I've retained some coaching responsibility um, where I help support the delivery of what we call our player position uh, specific program, where it's a program that we've got uh, within the week that players in small groups in positions work on aspects of that position that we feel are important and uh, valued. So we uh, kind of break that down. Some of that's technical focus, some of it's mm. tactical focus. So would that include um, a group of that? Would that would a group of players yeah. from different age groups come together in that in that sense? Then yeah, yeah, yeah. So for example, what you have is you have the twelves to fourteens. Um, they all come together. So there's a part of it. There is that great social aspect that you might have an under twelve train with an under fourteen. Mm. So there's going to be different challenges from a technical aspect with that. 
but also socially they integrate with players that they may not also normally integrate with. Um, then we have our 14s to 16s also do it. So some of the 14s uh, will come up with the 15s and 16s. Um, and then it's something that's also implemented at times with our 18s and 23s. Mm. Interesting. And it just in, in terms of obviously, you know, you're sitting in a slightly different, uh, I guess, setting as being part of the education team. What are your thoughts yep. just generally in terms of, I guess, coaches? And obviously, it's much more prevalent going to be in the elite, uh, or elite, elite game anyway. But any advice or guidance for maybe some of those grassroots coaches around how important it is to maybe bring some of these other elements into it? And I say other elements. It could be maybe supporting players through education elements. It could be supporting them on the, you know, yeah, from a psychological, physical standpoint as well. Nah, sure. I think, I think a lot of clubs will agree. And uh, when you speak to other members of staff in similar positions and other coaches in different academies, um, and also when you speak to the Premier League and the Football League, everyone's almost in agreement that we're trying to first and foremost make better people, um, and we're in a fortunate position, whether it's through resources, staff infrastructure, finances, whatever it may be, to perhaps expose these young people to a variety of different experiences and make them more rounded. So the development goes much broader than just the technical, tactical aspect, going on the training pitch for an hour and a half and performing and then also playing a game once a week, trying to develop players or in some cases in some settings with winning games and getting results it's much broader mm. than that because within a performance environment as much as we want all of them to become professional footballers the reality is and the likelihood is that the for 99 percent of them to become a professional footballer is not going to happen so what is it as a football club and as an academy we can do to support them that when they go back into society, wherever that may be, whether that is as a footballer at another club, whether that is um, they come out of football together and just doing a, do a role perhaps within recruitment um, or mm. perhaps they play semi-professional football and work as a gym instructor, whatever it may be, that they have the skills and the ability to just deal with life and also they are a, a good positive member of society and they're equipped to deal with just daily challenges, um, no matter what walk of life they have. So everyone, I think, is pushing that. Um, and that's where the different multidisciplinary teams look to work together to ensure that perhaps common themes, messages, uh, any issues and challenges with players or individuals it, uh, we're mm. all joined up and working together to support those individuals. Sure, and obviously, you, you know, we're looking at, I guess, the setting that you're describing. Obviously, they've got designated people for each of these in different, different departments yeah. and these different disciplines. But alongside that, you know, what would your advice? That, would there be has there been any situations or circumstances that you've come across where you think there's been some great work done that maybe doesn't necessarily require another department to actually have to be in place so if you're looking at a grassroots setting is there any bits that you think that could be applied in the grassroots setting yeah, adapted to yeah I th- work in a way with that one coach or that one individual can I guess support players in that way as well yeah I think it ultimately goes back to why uh, for example in the academy system why we're doing it so uh, I said yeah. about obviously we want to help create better people um, that and yeah. obviously with an academy setting and where I am now we're very fortunate we've got a broad range of resources but your 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 local grassroots coach can still have just as much impact if they're just there one person on their own obviously the strat- strategies sure. they use and how they go about it will be different but they can still be that supportive figure they can perhaps have that relationship with players where they can pick up on subtle cues that there may be an issue uh, that's going on and it's affecting their personality. All of a sudden, players become very uh, withdrawn. They're very quiet all of a sudden when usually they're quite lively and bubbly. As a a grassroots coach, can you still pick up on those subtle cues that you can identify when there's an issue and still help them? 
and there yeah. are a lot of I've come across and you know working the academy system you you engage with a lot of grassroots coaches because that's where you you know you recruit a lot of your players from there's a lot of grassroots coaches sure. that will go that extra mile and help out individuals whether it's at school they they may I've seen grassroots coaches they've got an opportunity to go on trial at an academy and rather yeah. than being protective of that individual not allowing them to go because they're conscious of how that's going to impact their team's performance they're very supportive now they've even been there at their first training night to kind of you know make sure that their players are okay and that they, they really try and yeah. help that individual so there's a number of ways that those grassroots coaches or coaches without those variety of resources that i'm fortunate to kind of be involved with it can you know yeah, do definitely. on a daily or weekly basis to help their players <laughs> Yeah, just interested on that. How do you think it is then for clubs to bring grassroots coaches to, I guess, seek more that player going from that grassroots setting into, I guess, the elite setting in that respect? Because I think a lot of the frustration that comes from grassroots coaches, from my experience and I guess conversations I've had with people, is that they feel like, and it's not, you know, this is it's subjective, really, but they feel like they maybe not, they've not given given enough credit when a, a particular player has gone through maybe their their system and has ended up in a, a professional environment. Yeah, I think it's first and foremost, it's like any walk of life. You get your good and your bad. Um, some are better, yeah. uh, some are not uh, as equipped. Some of that is ignorance. Some of that is a lack of understanding. Um, but you, you see coaches that are very supportive and like I said, they'll be if they've got their players got an opportunity, they'll encourage and push them to kind of challenge the, the players further by perhaps going and exploring those opportunities that at an academy system. Um yeah. also I think uh clubs are getting better at it. I think there was a perhaps a period where grassroots football was very much treated like adults football where it was win at all costs winning yeah. is very important and I, 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 I still think winning is important I think the, the people don't like to say it but I think if there is that development going on yeah, the, there's going to have to be a mixture of results and sometimes if, in the, if you can win in a manner that shows that players have understood something you might have got beaten heavily one week and worked on something within the week and then uh, you're able to demonstrate that in your performance at the weekend and turn the result around the following week. Yeah. It may show improvement. If you're winning all the time, though, are your players actually being challenged? But I think grassroots football is very much win at all costs. Uh, coaches would win games, win leagues, win cups and almost use it as their own glorification. Where forgetting that it's about the players, but I think it's gone back to that now. But so as a result of that, though, coaches were very protective of if clubs were looking at their players and they wouldn't yeah. allow clubs to approach players and their parents. Whereas now, I think coaches are a little bit more open to supporting players have that opportunity. Um, mm. But also on the, so I think as a result of that, though, clubs were a little bit perhaps standoffish or a bit wary of working with grassroots coaches because of the, the way they've interacted in the past. But there's some great stuff going on. I think there was something, weren't there, a little while ago, Arsenal put parents and local grassroots coaches through their level two so they can understand okay. what uh, players are going through within the session, also what their coaches are having to cater for when they're planning sessions. There's, there's yeah. little clubs are doing in their unique little way initiatives like that to engage with local grassroots clubs uh, engage with coaches. Um, a lot of clubs will do open festivals for the local clubs because it's first and foremost, it's a great way for them to recruit players, but it allows them to engage with the local community and so on. So, yeah, there's a number of ways in which both, both sides of the fence, if you like, the grassroots coach and the clubs, are improving the way in which they work together. Yes, you know, I think you just highlights the, the point in terms of how important it is for coaches to consider these different elements within the players' development. Um, and I think it should be more of a proactive thing for coaches um, to obviously look into that. Just moving on to a bit of a personal thing for you then, I mean, you know, you've, you've, got, you've gone for a range of roles, you've gone for a range of qualifications now, you're, you know, maybe 10, 10 plus years into your coaching career and a host of different clubs that you've worked with. What 
helps keep you motivated and feeling inspired to be your best version of yourself? Um, I think first and foremost, obviously, when I got, went into coaching, I had uh, goals and aspirations, um, as I, th- I imagine a lot of people would do. You kind of go into something and you set yourself targets of what you wanted to do. So when I went into coaching, my A license or achieving that was a big one, um, and obviously went through and completed that. I've I've had targets that some of them I've achieved, some of them I quite haven't been able to, some of them have been adapted um, as I've kind of gone through. But kind of having those aspirations of where you want to work and where you want to get to um, are kind of the big motivators. And and ultimately, I'm very fortunate. I'm working in an industry in, in football, which I've loved as, as a child, I loved and you know, I've got peers as as again many of you will do. I have friends that they get up, go to work. It's monotonous. They don't they don't uh, quite enjoy it. They uh, they live for the weekends when they don't have to get up and go for work. I love my work and I love what I do and I love going into work and, I, and I'm not afraid to kind of say that. I, yeah, I, I have, get great enjoyment from it and engaging mm. with different individuals, different players and. Um, there's not an aspect of my role that I would change. Like I said, I'm very fortunate to kind of be exposed to that. I'm very fortunate to be work, working where I am. Uh, I've loved every experience that I've had up till now. Um, and I can't see that changing for the future. And obviously, I'll keep striving and keep working to kind of move towards kind of where I want to get to. Um, mm. And yeah, that's kind of what engages and interests me. Brilliant. And I think, you know, it's important that you, something that you said there, and it kind of really stands out for me is you've got a real passion for what you're doing. It's really real, you know, you're, you're in touch with your emotions around how much that means to you and enjoy you enjoy it. I think that is definitely something for all coaches that it's got to be something you enjoy. And I don't think you can fake that enjoyment either. No, yeah. And so don't get me wrong, there's, there's times and um, there's times that it can be challenging, it can be difficult. Um, I have at times questioned, am I doing the right thing? Is this for me? Um, but I think that's, you're always going to get that with everything. And you've got, I think you've also got to have that, those difficult moments and you've got to have that deep reflective, uh, time to really question, are you doing the right things? Are you in the right environment? Are you doing the way things in which the way you'd want to do them um mm. i think you've got to have that to really appreciate and really enjoy um what you do that when things are nice and when they're fluffy and when they're good 100 percent. i think that's just the thing it's just those moments that you take enjoyment in that you keep you spurred on i guess oh uh, yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. and um i think I, I talk about it to others that you know i'm close to the in a performance setting there's nothing better than seeing someone that you've perhaps worked with and and you see him have a successful career or go on and uh, do well. Uh, not naive enough to think that's that solely down to one individual, but perhaps you like, you like to think that you've perhaps contributed 1% to their development. Um, but for others, and certainly in the role that I'm in, um, I get huge satisfaction, possibly sometimes more actually, that when you work with individuals that they achieve beyond their potential and mm. I'm talking about potential outside of a football performance aspect so it may be an individual that didn't do well at school academically they don't have the, the perhaps the best support network externally unfortunately mm. and you might be the one person that they perhaps lean on to help guide and support them and through that support uh, network that you put around that individual, they go on and achieve something that they perhaps weren't envisaging themselves or weren't predicted to go on and achieve. Um, so that, uh, I'll get huge satisfaction from that. that. That's hugely rewarding. And I still get players now that even though I've left the club or they've left the club or whatever, that perhaps I still connect with every now and again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when I left Barnet and went to Aston Villa, a number of players I'd worked with messaged me to say congratulations and thank you, and that 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 means it means huge, a lot, doesn't it? Oh, massively, massively. You get huge reward from that. That's 
that that's something that no one can take away. That's unbelievable. That definitely, I think some of those things there that they, they often get overlooked. I mean, just as you're going through it there, I think I, I've got a few players I've worked in the past that I'm still in touch with me, and you know, you don't think that you can have that much impact. But some, if for some of them, you really have a massive impact on them. You, you know, oh, hugely! Something that you said on a, on a certain day for them that that's just changed the course of their whole week or even their month or even even greater uh, impact than that, but. Oh, hugely, hugely. Getting that recognition and that acknowledgement sometimes just it makes it all worth it. Yeah, hugely. And, and, and sometimes it's bits that the players don't like. I, I mean, I remember one player messaged me and said, I, I hated it at the time and I, uh, I hated you at times for doing it. But I see and I thank you for everything you've done. And it's that, that deep down, they, yeah. they, when they develop that emotional intelligence and they develop that understanding... They know the reasons why at times, perhaps as a coach or a member of staff, you have to yeah. be a little bit harder and a little bit harsher on individuals yeah. so that they, for, for their own good. And yes, like I said, when you get that kind of thanks and when players come back to you um, and thank you for that and or just being there or helping them, that, that, that's, that's a huge reward for me in my, my eyes anyway. 100%. You know, we talked a bit about, you know, what keeps you motivated, what keeps you keep inspired. What would you say is one of your big bugbears when it comes to coaching then? Um, I, think, yeah, I think it's when players fail to reach their potential. But mm. I, I get frustrated with that. I, I used to get really frustrated with it. But I think I've then started to be a little bit more understanding, a little bit more open to it that players not reaching their full potential it may sometimes it's easy to say it's the player's fault but there's a reason why they're not reaching their potential and it may be um and i used the expression earlier in reference to something else but it may be a bit naivety from them it just may be a lack of understanding for them so because of what they've experienced or what they're exposed to and or the way in which they go about externally, their day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. may mean that certain behaviours and values are ingrained within them. So that when they present those in front of you as a coach and it goes against your value system, it's not their fault. And you've got to perhaps develop that understanding about that and actually go round and have a process of how can you get them to understand that certain behaviors and actions that may initially be within their value and behavior system that may go against others so that they can get more broader in their understanding of things um so yeah that i suppose that's my biggest bugbear um is you know how do you uh how do you get them to reach their potential but players not utilizing their their skill level or their failing to reach their potential for one reason or another. But usually those situations, like I've highlighted, are very complex. Um, so can you have the strategies to support them effectively? I think also within coaching, everyone, and that's why also it's part of the beauty of it, everyone's got a, an opinion. But the yeah. high level of perhaps critique and the finger wagging that goes along with it that I think there's some unbelievable aspects from all different theories, different practices and ways in which people can deliver and support players that can be taken. And as a coach, I think you've got to take all the best bits uh, yeah. from, from everything and everyone you see. Uh, but sometimes those, those people that go out there and are very crit- critical of ways in which people do things, I think that as long as people understand or in, your, in yourself, Mm. You have a rationale as to why you want to do things. Like, for example, at the moment, I see a lot of critique for unopposed practices. Yeah. Saying that it's wrong. It doesn't support player development. Players are not making decisions. But yeah. I think as a coach, you're comfortable in why you're doing it and the rationale as to uh, how it's going to help your players. Yeah. Who's to say that it's not going to be the right thing to do or that it's not going to have a benefit to the players that you work with? So I, th- I think that's kind of one thing that does get a little bit training and a little bit sure. uh, frustrating as a coach. And I take from what you just said there, you are one of those coaches who do, I guess, really uh, adopt a lot of unopposed pro- I'm just making an assumption based on what you said that you do adopt a lot of unopposed work within your within your practice. Then I've I've used it before. Um, Funny enough, it was 
just before before I left Barnet, it, we kind of went and used. I'm going to use the word a periodized model, but everything's periodized these days, and you know everything's yeah. a model. But we we did have a bit of a tactical model where everything did have a tactical and opposed reference. Okay. But, um, and, and it did kind of question the way in which I delivered a lot of things in the past. Okay. But I do still think that there are times, and again, it goes back to your players' needs. What are your players' needs? If a player needs to do something unopposed so they can refine something technically, it's going to be the right thing for them. If it's something that they may need to then progress out of later on, then mm. you're going to have to find a different delivery model to be able for them to deliver in. Um, I'm not dismissing it. I, sometimes I think with younger players, unopposed stuff is key. Um, but other times, it may not be the right thing to deliver with them. And that, yeah. that's, what, that's what kind of sort of said. I think it's kind of taking the best bits or certain elements from different beliefs, different models, um, and understanding, and that's the key bit of understand how does that apply to the players in which you work with, yeah, um, and have that rationale as to why you're doing something. Because um, I think there's room for everything. Uh, different, it's different, uh, different needs for different times, and uh, different players, different needs, and so on. Definitely. And I just want to take us back a couple of minutes. You touched on, you know, you mentioned there about coaches, you know, taking the best bits from one another and I guess putting it together to kind of create a better product in that respect. Just on that note then, would you say you've had any major influences in your career, possibly in the form of a mentor or someone that you've looked up to? And if so, what was the biggest lesson that you've kind of taken from them and have applied to your own stuff, if that makes sense? Um, I think, you know, there's there's probably too many people to to mention, but I think every every step in my coaching pathway in my journey, someone's had an impact. Whether that's when I first started out helping out Wickham Wanderers, the community trust manager there, Dave Evans, he 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 allowed me to go to their sessions to watch, to help, to support co- their their coaches that he employed. He then gave me the position, the apprenticeship. So. He was a real kind of someone that really helped me kickstart my journey, if you like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, um, when I'm on my A licence, I was very, very fortunate to have two unbelievable educators that had real great detail in their knowledge. Um, and they really captured you when they spoke. When they spoke, the room was silent. Everyone was engaged. I was very fortunate to have Dick Bate um, and John Peacock uh, in my in my A license, and they were for me unbelievable educators. And they really kind of, at the time, stretched and challenged my th- thought process and my knowledge. And um, during that process as well, this was before the A license was structured as it is now. Um, so you didn't have as such in-situ visits you could ask for them and you can arrange them Um, and part of that I was very fortunate that Alan Gillette who was an FA tutor at the time um, and I believe it or not he used to travel the way I think he was based down in Plymouth or Devon at the time living down there he used to travel up to where I was in Buckinghamshire um, to do an observation on my coaching sessions for Mm. a couple of hours and that, that support during the process of me finishing the course if you like before going to be do my set final assessment he's yeah. done that numerous of times and his feedback was golden um and i don't think i would have passed my assessment if i didn't have that in place yeah at the time um so that was unbelievable for me um you know my experience when i was at hungerford town i was quite young and i was working with in a senior performance setting where we had players at non-league but Virtually all of them had professional playing careers at some yeah. point. Um, some of them were on very good money at, at non-league levels, and you know Bobby Wilkinson and Michael Jilks there. That, uh, first of all, Bobby for giving me the opportunity to invite me in, and Jilksy with his experience as a player uh, professionally, but then also he's worked worked at Reading in the first team and now academy manager. He's someone even now that I just sometimes speak to and we, we bounce things and pick brains and it's always good to catch up with him. And 
yeah, for those two are unbelievable for me at that point. And um, someone that just through my, my role when I was at Barnet, I, I got introduced to Steve Salis was head of education at Millwall. Um, and he's someone that, again, I, I class as a real good friend and I speak to and again, we bounce things on, but he's unbelievable getting you to think about how people learn, uh, how people develop, um, which is obviously as a coach is vital. So there's someone else that's had a huge impact. And again, someone else at Barnet, uh, Ian, uh, you'd remember, psychologist, he yeah. would, again, similar, he would, he would challenge your thought process and why you're doing something. And so there's so many people, probably took, I've missed so many people out in that as well, that, all the way through my coaching pathway, there's probably someone that has challenged the way in which I think about something or has, give, or has given me that opportunity. So I'd always be thankful and grateful for those individuals. And I, I couldn't atone it to just one individual. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it, is, it just highlights you know, the, the importance of obviously trying to take in as much as you can from the people that you come across and, even for myself, you know, there isn't, I don't think there's really one standout figure that I've, I've kind of taken something from. And sometimes it's even people that you maybe you're not too close to, but you've just observed something that they're doing. They think, you know, yeah. I, really like, I really like what they're doing there. I'm going to try and take that and apply it within my own work. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you've got to be an absolute sponge, just got to absorb yeah. everything and anything. And I think in my immaturity and naivety when I was younger, you kind of progress as a coach. So you almost dismiss. Yeah those that are perhaps not working at your level or don't have the same level of qualification. Yeah. But as you mature and as you go through, you'll, you'll soon learn. Like The qualifications are great, yeah, but there's some really good, knowledgeable and very, very good coaches that only have their level one. 100%. But, um, you know, it's taking those golden nuggets from everyone that you come in contact with. Mm. Um, and just, again, it goes back to well, you've taken it, or you just can you can think and consider something and take it back and then think about how does that relate to you? How does that relate to the players that you may or may not work with? Um, and then kind of, yeah, think about how you uh, utilize and deliver it. Definitely. I think just, just touching on the other, you know, you looked at, about, looked at some of the key lessons that you might have taken away, some of the people that have influenced you. If you could go back in time now to, I guess, the start of your coaching journey. And speak to the Ben Ashby of then. What would you tell him? <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing would be to not get so frustrated with the lows. So, and to understand that the coaching pathway isn't linear. We talk about the player pathway, and every, we we talk about it being ups and downs, peaks and troughs. Um, but to understand that 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 also is applicable to the coaching pathway. So the, I think very much when I started coaching, you think, oh, you're just going to continue developing. Everything's going to progress steadily um, and you're going to get to where you want to get to within a matter of moments and it's going to be achievable. Mm. But like we talked to the players, it's going to, like I said, up and down peaks and troughs. Coaching is exactly the same. You're going to have good moments. You're going to have bad and to not beat yourself up and get too frustrated with those moments that mm. do frustrate you and do slightly disappoint you. Um, yeah, I'd certainly get, tell myself or give myself that understanding early on if I had that opportunity to do so. Definitely. I think one of the things that you kind of just touched on there and obviously links back to something today, it's a slightly different context. But I think the principle applies. You know, I recently um, saw an interview with... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name now, the NBA player, and he talked about Kobe Bryant and his experiences of guess, interaction with Kobe Bryant. And he said one of the key things Kobe Bryant said to him was, you got to be a kid. And what he meant by it, you know, the, the guy's response was, well, what do you mean be a kid? Like, I can't just have fun and play games all the time. He said, no, no, you've got to be a kid. You've got to constantly be asking questions. Mm. You've got yeah, to constantly yeah. be looking for that next bit of information. Why You've got, you got, you got to understand why and the how and yeah, really get a deeper and... level understanding of everything that you're doing. You know, you you say that, and I'm I am chuckling to myself because um, I, I, we caught up before, didn't we? And I said, my six year old, you talk to him, and certainly during this moment of lockdown where he's at home all day and I'm at home all day together, he's asking something of why you're doing something or what you're doing, and then you explain it, and then it's why, 
then you explain that, then it's why again. Yeah. And so, yeah, certainly I think that's a, that's a great point there. Can you constantly be asking yourself and challenging yourself to get to the point of why, mm. how, when, what, what, whatever you're looking at yeah. to really understand your practice and yourself? 100%. I mean, so what's next for Ben Ashby then? You know, assistant head of education at Aston Villa. You've had experiences as, uh, as an academy manager in the past. You worked in professional development phase, you worked in youth development phase, and, you know, non league football. Where yeah. do you go next? You know, what, what's next? Yeah, I, I, kind of going back to what we spoke about a moment ago about um, what engages and interests me and kind of my targets. They have changed. Um, I did, when I kind of went on that journey and I was progressing through my badges, I said to myself that I wanted to get to first team level as a first team coach at the age of 35. Um, my big concern at that moment was I didn't have that professional career. Mm. You, you do learn, though, that it's not always about your professional career. It's about your personality and the skills that come with that. You're, you've been able to demonstrate a certain skill set that people need and want. Um, I think, though, having a young family, that that's changed slightly. Working in a professional environment, you do see the volatile nature and the dispensable uh, position that first team staff put themselves in and having a young yeah. family I'm not quite comfortable with that I'd, I would say so that, that's kind of shifted I think I'm most comfortable as a coach working with older players um, probably between the ages of 14 and 23 I'd say that's where I'm most comfortable working with players um, yeah. and I just now want to be known as a good youth developer um, yeah. So, and I say youth developer because I want to still retain that ability to n- develop them off the grass as well. I think that's key. I think uh, there is a big focus on that uh, mental aspect, that psychological aspect of players mm. now, and it rightly so. It's getting the kind of focus that it needs to, and I do think that if you can get a player's head right and you can understand a player how they think, how they work, how they develop, how they learn. That's key before you even go into any technical, tactical detail. Because if you can understand that, you'll know how to deliver the technical, tactical stuff so that they understand it, how they grasp it and how they can implement it themselves. But for me, moving forward, I just want to be renowned as a good youth developer um, and help a number of individuals develop as young people. Um, because if you do that, they'll become good players anyway. Hundred percent. And you know, just on a, on a final note, then, if you you know, we talked about it briefly earlier. You mentioned the you know the use of a golden nugget. If you had sixty seconds to leave our listeners with a golden nugget to take forward with them, what would that be? Yeah, uh, I'd say is consider what your impact is going to be uh, with the players you work with. So longer term, what is it that if your players you work with, if they were to be asked what your coach did for them, are they going to be able to really kind of consider what it might be? So it might be that you've given that player constantly loads of real good technical, tactical detail. You've challenged them in the way in which they play. For others, it may be that you're as a real supportive figure for them and put your arm around them. Um, so that's kind of like around the longer term impact that you have on someone. Because, again, we've we've said it, that coaches have a real good opportunity to have a real positive impact on the players that they connect and work with. Um, but then also on a day-to-day basis, what impact did you have on the player within the session? So did every single player that you work with go off that pitch at the end of the session with something? Uh. If not, how can you give them something in the future? How can you give them something? Um, and, again, going back and reflecting on my own practice... If it was around a certain topic, I'd focus on those players that impacted most and forget about the others. Whereas mm. now you've got to kind of really understand that if you're doing something, what's the impact and what's the takeaway for every single player? Sure. Just, you know, I think that's very important. I think it is, you know, ultimately the key thing for that is for me is 
just to understand the needs of your players. And we touched on it earlier in the conversation, really about having a deeper connection with the players to understand yeah. what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what's the best approach for them, and you know what might not be. Just uh, lastly, but before we leave, I just want to you know thank you again for being on the show. No, um, no worries, absolutely. Just allow the listeners to know where they can maybe get in touch with you if they have any questions they wanted to get in touch with you directly. Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter is probably the the easiest and best way to get hold of me. So that's uh, at Bashby, B-A-S-H-B-Y 87. Um, and then also LinkedIn, just Ben Ashby on LinkedIn. Um, should be able to find me on there. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye out on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.